Good morning. Good to see everybody. Will you stand with me this morning as I read from God's Word? I'm going to be reading from Psalm chapter 86. I'm going to read a couple of verses here. Starting in verse 11, the Bible says, Teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. I will praise you, O Lord, my God, with all of my heart. I will glorify your name forever. For great is your love towards me. You have delivered me from the depths of the grave. The arrogant are attacking me, O God. A band of ruthless men seek my life, men without regard for you. But you, O Lord, are compassionate and you're a gracious God. You're slow to anger. You're abounding in love and faithfulness. That's going to be a large part of our theme today. And opening with that, I want to just remind you that we serve a good God who's compassionate, he's gracious, he loves you, he's slow to anger, he's faithful. I can go on and on, but this is the character of God, and I'm so thankful that God loves us. Amen? Let's start with prayer this morning as we worship the Lord. Father, we thank you so much for your love. I thank you that you are a God of compassion. That when Russell screws up, you're there to forgive me. When people screw up, you're there to forgive them. And Lord, no matter what kind of week we've had this week, I pray, Father, that our hearts would be settled in to hear from you, to respond to you, and to worship you. So, Father, bless this time. Bless our worship as we lift up the name of Christ. And I pray you'd speak to every heart that is listening today. I pray for LifeGate as they've wrapped up their service. I pray, Father, for a blessing over the response that was had today and the fellowship that they're having right now. And we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Turn your Bibles to Jonah, the book of Jonah, being the Old Testament. And we're going to go specifically to chapter 4 today. And maybe you've heard this story before. But in the midst of this story, camping out in the last chapter, I think the Lord gave me something to say to our congregation today. I hope this will be a blessing to you, applicable to you, that you'd see the points in this message that I'm making that um, maybe tug at your heart a little bit. And the other thing is there might be pieces of my message that are uh, a little difficult to swallow, no pun intended. Um, but actually, the pun was intended there. I'm just kidding with you. But um, this is going to poke a little bit. And, um, you know, the Word of God has a way of getting right down into the core and doing a little heart surgery, so to speak. And we, uh, we, we, we look at the Word, and we, I hope we look at it like a, a mirror and not like a window, like here's all of Andrea's faults, and I'm going to go tell her about it. I mean, we look at God's Word and we go, man, there's things in my life here that I need to, to square up. There's things in my life here that I need to, to allow God to, to minister to and, and to correct and change and, and all of those things. This story of, of Jonah, it's a, kind of a, a story maybe here as a kid. Maybe you've never heard this story before. And today's one of those days where we'll get to sort of uh, open that up with you. And uh, this is one of Judah, my son's favorite stories, is the story of Jonah. And we can be in our living room, and we can totally reenact this thing. 
And uh, if I narrate and I say, Jonah, the, the Lord said, get up and go to Nineveh, and he'll run across the living room, and, 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 and then he'll hop on the couch, that's the boat, to go to Tarshish in the opposite direction. And then he gets thrown out of the boat, and he jumps off the couch, and, and then Dad's supposed to be the whale, and I gulp him up. <laughs> and then I count to three for three days, and then... Uh, he says, spit me out. So, bleh, I spit him out and onto the, onto the shore he goes. And then he runs off and he, he speaks to Nineveh and they all come to know the Lord. And it's just, we'll do it again. Do it again. Okay, we'll do it all over again. And we'll do this. And before you start to think that, oh, wow, the Weller family, they just have it all put together. Life is crazy. I'm just giving you a highlight there, okay, for the sake of the story. But, uh, you know, as kids, we maybe know this story. Okay, God tells Jonah, get up and go to Nineveh. You'll see that at the beginning of the book. Very first verse. And he says, announce to Nineveh my judgment against it because of how wicked these people are. Now, something you need to know is that all of Israel hated the nation of Assyria, and Nineveh was a city in that nation. They absolutely hated them. Let me take a moment for you to describe the wickedness that was in this city. This is a city and a nation known for its violence, its terror, and its torture. It's infamous for cruelty. They'd pridefully come home from war with bloody parts that they'd pass out to the people in the city as souvenirs. They'd pin lips of the people they've killed to their clothing as sort of a pride thing. They'd drive through the cities killing people with their chariots that had iron spikes on them. They'd burn children alive They'd lead prisoners back to Nineveh with hooks that would go through their nose or their lips. And these prisoners, they wouldn't bat an eye to cut off their hands or feet or gouge out their eyes, rip out their tongue. They'd impale them on poles. They even figured out a way to skin them alive. So that gives you kind of a context here of this city. Now, if God said, hey, I want you to go to this city, you bet. Let me just pack my bags and I'm ready to go. And then God says, not only do I want you to go to this city, I want you to speak judgment over this city, right? And, and I want you to tell them what I'm going to do. I'm going to destroy the city if they don't change. This is a city that would have gripped people with barbaric terror, and Nineveh would be burned inside of somebody's consciousness due to all the horror and the evil of that day. And Israel hated hated them. And the thing is about Jonah, it wasn't a fear thing. It wasn't like, oh, I don't want to go there because I'm scared. He didn't want to go because he knew that our God is a God of compassion, a God of love, and that if he goes to this city, this people that he hates, they're going to turn. And I don't want to see God have compassion on these people. That's kind of where Jonah was coming from. So he gets up, he goes in the opposite direction, and this is kind of funny in verse 3 of chapter 1, it says, to get away from God. <laughs> Good luck. You cannot go anywhere to escape his presence. So he got on a boat to leave for Tarshish, which would be in the opposite direction of where God told him to go, and the Lord caused a big old storm to brew up, and the crew was freaking out. And so Jonah's like, I think it's, you know... Uh, what's going on? They wake him up and they cast lots because they know the reason why there's a storm is because of somebody that's on the boat. And the lot falls on Jonah. 
And Jonah tells him, just throw me overboard. Like, seriously, I'm done. I don't want to. Just throw me overboard. And as soon as they did that, they, the storm stopped. The seas quit raging immediately. And in the midst of that, you might know the story, the Lord arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah. Gulp. And there he was inside this fish for three days. You just Maybe you want to identify with his experience, maybe. If you want, while I describe maybe what this is like, you just shut your eyes, imagine that you just got swallowed by a fish. The slime, the stench, the seaweed. In my studies, they said that the acid from the stomach of a fish like this would actually bleach your face. The first stomach chamber inside of a whale was actually part of the digestive system would start smashing its food in that chamber. In Jonah chapter 2, he speaks of like he was in the belly of, of hell. Now, whether he was actually speaking to his overall experience that he was going through or the very literal experience of being inside this fish, this was not a good environment. But yet, this was an environment that God provided to save his life because he was going to drown. The Lord then orders the fish to spit Noah, or Noah, Jonah out, and he goes up, and the Lord tells him a second time, go to Nineveh. So in chapter 3, Jonah obeys, Nineveh repents, and God relents. God forgives. And that's where we're at here in Jonah chapter 4. And so I'm going to read this whole chapter. It's about 10 to 11 verses long. And so will you read with me, starting in verse 1. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. See, God changed his plans of destroying the city because people had repented. And Jonah was mad about that. So he complained to the Lord. He says, didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That's why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you're a merciful and compassionate God who's slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. And then the Lord replied, is it right for you, Jonah, to be angry about this? Is it right for you to be angry about this? I want to take our, our points here from the questions that God asks Jonah in this chapter. And so one of the first questions is, is it right for you to be angry about this? My first point, guys, is it's, it is not okay to write people off from the grace of God. That is not your decision. That's God's job. And for you to so, sort of reject people because you feel they're too far gone or they're, they're just not going to respond or maybe you don't like them or whatever the case might be, you don't write people off from the grace of God. The people of Nineveh were sinners who were totally lost apart from God's grace. And so was Jonah. So was Jonah, and let's just bring it to today. So are we. Apart from God's grace, we are lost. 
interesting point here. You'll see Jonah has a reaction to God's grace. In, in chapter 2, when he's praying, you can read that prayer later in chapter 2, but he is thanking God. He's praising him for saving him from, from this dire situation. And so when God shows Jonah grace, Jonah's thankful. But when God shows Nineveh grace, now he's mad. There's a problem with that. How many of you want God's grace in your life? Yeah, then you better want it for other people too. It's not yours for your own, you know, enjoyment, but it's yours to then extend to other people. Don't ever forget what it feels like to experience the grace of God and also what God redeemed you from. Remembering God's grace keeps you sensitive to the grace of God toward other people. So some questions for you. What if God told you to take the gospel to the worst offender? Or what if God told you to share your faith with a coworker or a neighbor or maybe to a family member that you know needs Christ? As you read Jonah, you'll realize that no one is beyond the redemption of God. Nobody. And this book gives an example of the biblical truth that God does not want anyone to die spiritually. He wants people to come to know Christ. 2 Peter 3, 9 says that God is patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Interesting note about Jonah, he's the only prophet that's sent by God to preach repentance in a foreign land. Interesting note about that. Another note is he's the only prophet to refuse God's commission. Here's the thing. God is a God of second chances, and he commissions Jonah a second time. How many of you are, are grateful for second chances that God gives? For those who didn't raise your hand, I'll give you a second chance on that one. How many of you are grateful for God's grace and how he gives second chances? God is a God of second chances. The God of the do-over. I want to keep reading here now in verse 5. The Bible says that when Jonah went out to the east side of the city and he made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see what would happen to the city, it's like, he's like, I wonder if God's still going to destroy this. So I'm going to go up and get a good view. You're just like, come on, Jonah. Don't you get this? And the Lord God arranged for a leafy plant to grow there, and soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. And this eased his discomfort, and Jonah was very grateful for the plant. And it goes on, but God also arranged a worm. The next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it withered away. And as the sun grew hot, God also arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah, and the sun beat down on his head until he grew faint, and he wished that he was dead. Death is certainly better than living like this, Jonah exclaimed. And then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? So my second point with this second question God asked Jonah my second point is, it is not okay to love comfort 
more than people. It is not okay to love comfort more than people. You can see in this passage in verse 6, God's the one who provided the comfort. God can provide comfort in our life, but in verse 7 and 8, you can see how God can take that away pretty, pretty fast. I want you to look at the screen. You'll see a picture here of a very comfortable situation. Imagine no humidity, right? Look at that view. Some of you, I'm, I've lost you now. I don't think I'm going to get you back. Doesn't that look comfortable? Now, I'm going to ask you this. You imagine trying to plant corn along that beach? <laughs> Be interesting, wouldn't it? You're like, why would you even say that? We're on vacation, and you farmers are like, yeah, look, you could you know, plant corn on the beach. That'd be great. The point I'm trying to make is it's really hard to plant seeds when you're in your comfort zone. And we are called to plant. If you're a follower of Christ, you're to be engaged in the kingdom of God, not sit back in your own little bubble. Don't bother me, Lord. I've got my own agenda today. You've got to be open to what he wants to do because there's ministry to be done in your life. You've got to come out of your comfort zone if you want to plant seeds. Obedience can push us out of our comfort zone, can it? The opposite of that is disobedience can actually destroy our comfort zone pretty quick. God has a way of kind of getting our attention you can try to ignore God and cling to your comfort, but eventually that will catch up to you. How many of you can affirm that obedience right away saves a lot of headache later? <laughs> we can do the same thing. We're not saved to just sit comfortably in the kingdom. We're saved to serve in the kingdom. You're not saved to just sit comfortably. You're saved to serve. What's interesting is Jonah, as a prophet, he spoke to King Jeroboam II in 2 Kings 14, verse 25. We get a little bit of an account, a record there in history where Jonah, as a prophet, speaks to his own king in his own nation. And what he says to this king is, you're going to recover more territories for Israel. Like, that's a nice thing to tell a king. You're going to get more land. You're going to recover this territory. That's a great thing to tell the king of your nation. There's obedience in speaking out what God had told Jonah to say to that king. And yet, he didn't want to go to Nineveh and tell them to repent and turn to God. And when I looked at that this week, I thought, you know, we can do the same thing in our little bubble. We can come to a setting like this filled with, if you will, church people, and we can say, Jake... Like, hey, man, I was studying the Word, and this is what I, I saw this week. This, I just want to encourage you with this. You know, we can talk about the Lord in here, and we're free to do so, and we love that. And then we get out into the world where we can have great impact, and we're just like, Zoop. we go, how's the weather? How much rain did you get? Okay, good. What do you think about this team or that team, or did you see this on the news? We can talk a lot of things other than Christ out in the world. Why is that? We're not saved to sit comfortably. We're saved to serve. 
And I'm going to just take a little sidetrack here because when it comes to obedience and how sometimes obedience brings us out of our comfort zone, part of coming out of our comfort zone is sometimes we're confronted with our culture when we're being obedient to God. We have to confront the things that are going on in our culture. I don't know if any of you are watching the news the past week or so, but I mean, the U.S. women's soccer team won the World Cup. That was a big deal. But how many of you saw a lot of the agenda that came along with it? Okay? So while they're celebrating in this victory, I ran across an article of a gal, and her name is J. Lee Henkel. Okay? Jay Lee Hinkle is one of the best soccer players at her position in women's soccer. And in 2018, when they were recruiting to be on the, the U.S. women's soccer team, one of the things they were going to do is they wanted to have the kind of rainbow colors for the numbers that were on their jerseys so that they could essentially show their support and celebrate gay pride. And Jay Lee took three days. She said, I just don't have peace about this. I'm going to step aside and I'm going to pray whether or not the Lord would want me to have this jersey on because I know that's not what he would celebrate. He wants me to love people, which that can bring us out of our comfort zone, but there's times where we do have to stand firm for what's right. And in the midst of that, she ended up deciding she wasn't going to play. I'm not going to wear the jersey. And there's an interview of her where she said, I essentially, I gave up a dream that I had as a little girl of maybe someday playing for my country. And she said, I think there's peace in the midst of this that trumps my disappointment because I knew in my spirit that I was doing the right thing. I knew I was being obedient. And just because you're obedient doesn't make it easy. For Jonah, being obedient maybe wasn't an easy thing, but it's the right thing to do. And I pulled that story out to think, you know, here's a gal that, I mean, she's an incredible soccer player. And she just said, you know what, I'm going to just have to miss out. But God brought peace in the midst of that. Let's pick up where we're at after that, that question is it right for you to be angry because of the plant? That was in verse 9. Now in verse 10, the Lord said, You feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and it died quickly, but Nineveh has more than 120,000 people that are living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? Other translation would say, Should I not pity Nineveh? And my last point here today is that God has a deep compassion for people. Even the toughest ones to love. He has great compassion for them. In verse 2 of chapter 4, Jonah nailed God's character. He's merciful. He's compassionate. He's slow to anger. He's got unfailing love, and he is eager to repent. And I want to tell you something. God will relent of judgment when people repent. That's what he does. When people realize what they're doing, and they realize the need to change, God is there to forgive them and restore them. 
God does not change his character, but he can change the outcome over people's lives if they choose to turn his direction. Interestingly, Jonah's name means dove. And at the beginning, it says he's the son of Amittai, and Amittai would mean faithful. So he's like this faithful dove, this obedient little dove that went off in the wrong direction. And the irony of that is, in, the, in spite of Jonah's disobedience, despite his lack of innocence like a dove, and despite his unfaithfulness and his disloyalty, God is faithful. God is true. And so for anybody that's listening, if you feel like you've been living in the wrong direction, God's ready for you to turn to him. He has compassion for you. He wants a relationship with you. I think it's interesting that at the end of this chapter, that's the last thing. Should I not pity Nineveh? Boom, chapter's over. You don't hear from Jonah again. Like, oh, well, guess what? Like, he's going to try to argue with that. That's where it ends. It's like, that's the last word. I have compassion for people. Done. Chapter's done. Book is over. God is a God of compassion. God has such a huge heart for sinners, and I ask, do we have a huge heart for sinners? In my conclusion this morning, I want to take us on a little bit of an AEA training. The first A is, do we have awareness? Do we see God's heart? Do we look around and we say, that person needs Jesus? Do we recognize that? Are you guys, are you seeing God's heart? The next thing is, do you have empathy? Do you share God's heart for these people? So you see it, you share it, and the last one is then, do you speak God's heart? Is there action? They say action speaks louder than words, right? So how are you reaching out to these people who need Christ? Are you stuck in a comfort zone? Are you stuck in sort of this complacent uh, stage where you really don't care about whether or not somebody goes to hell for eternity? Where are you at in the midst of that? And I tell you, if you do your part, I'm telling you right now, God will do his. In this whole story, you see God at work kind of making a way in this situation for redemption to happen. So Jonah flees. He gets on this boat. I'm just going to list things that God starts to do to intervene to make sure that his love and compassion gets to people. God hurled a great wind on the sea. God caused the lot to fall on Jonah. God stopped the raging sea when Jonah was thrown in. God appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. He commanded the fish to spit Jonah out onto dry land. God appointed a plant for Jonah's shade. God appointed a worm as a shade eater. And God appointed a scorching east wind to make Jonah miserable. God will get the last word. And if all of creation responds to God, my question to you today is, how are you going to respond to him? And I want to show us a video here that will help us gain some perspective on that. So if you could play that video.
God of creation, there at the start, before the beginning of time. With no point of reference, you spoke to the dark and fleshed out the wonder of life. And as you speak, a hundred billion galaxies are born. In the vapor of your breath, the planets form. And if the stars amaze and worship so light, I can see your heart in nature. Every burning star signal fire grace And if creation sings your praises so Every pain is gone, the canvas of you. 
Chase down my heart through all of my failure and pride. On a hill you created, the light of the world, abandoned in darkness to die. And as you speak, a hundred billion fairies disappear. We well, lost your life so I could find it here. And if you left the grave behind you, so I, I can see your heart and everything you've done. If all of creation responds to God, what is your response? For some of you listening, it might be to finally get your life right with God. You've been running, but he is pursuing you, and he wants that relationship. If you already have a relationship for him, it's time to, to jump in and get involved if you haven't already. And maybe you're serving, and maybe it's just a reminder to keep your head up and stay focused on the kingdom. But two responses are needed today, and one is salvation and the other is action. One is looking to Jesus and the other one is looking for people. And so I want to ask you to bow your heads with me as we pray and we go in response together. Father, I thank you for, for your great compassion and your great love for people. So much so that you sent your son Jesus to this earth to suffer and die to pay the penalty and the price for sin. You sent the word, Jesus, and he is the last word. You have complete control and authority over things in our life. But Father, we need to submit to you. We need to respond to your great love and compassion. And so Father, in this moment, if there's somebody listening that you, you're done running and you want to live for Jesus, it's time to respond to that. 
to know that there's nothing that God can't forgive and that he has such a great purpose and plan for your life. And it's time to, to receive Jesus into your life. And if I'm speaking to you right now and that need for Christ, I just simply ask that you'd pray with me. Open your heart and receive him. Just say in your heart, say, Jesus, I surrender and I want you in my life. Please forgive me and help me to change, to be a new person. Come into my life walk with me and guide me and lead me and help me to obey you as I live for Jesus. Lord, as, as we continue to pray, I just ask, Father, that you would help your followers, your disciples, believers in Jesus to be active for the kingdom not to sit passively in our comfort, sit passively in our own agenda, but be totally surrendered and sold out to your purposes because there are people outside of these walls who need you and you want to use us to impact those people. So give us the courage, give us the awareness, give us the empathy, Lord, to reach out to these people. Shape our hearts, Lord, to pursue people you want to save. And we lift this to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.